0: Oh, praise the Lord. It is a good weekend. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Zags won, Eagles won, Cougs won. God's in this place in the Northwest. Hey, there we go. There we go. Well, anyways, uh, we're going to continue our series. I thought last week was phenomenal. I thought it went well. So um, really kind of an interesting topic we're getting into. And I think that um, kind of what we've seen last week, I think it kind of hit home. For some, And I think it will continue to hit home as we continue to identify the ways that the enemy is kind of messing with us a little bit and how he plays with us to try and trap us. So that's the name of our series for those of you who who are first time guests here. We've been in a series called Trapped and it's really teaching us how to identify the deception of the enemy because we know that our enemy operates in deception. That's who he is. And so what he wants you or what he wants to do with you is to trap you. The enemy comes, as John 10.10 says, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. So don't forget that first part where the enemy's intention is to kill. Okay? Yeah, that's not a thing that you take lightly. Okay? His thing is he wants to kill you and destroy you, steal from you. Take away from what God has blessed you with and what God has given you in Christ Jesus. And so... Uh, that's a serious thing. So we have to approach that serious as well too. So, but we have to learn how to identify how the enemy is going to try and kill us. And, and uh, for lack of better words, he, we have to learn how to identify that so we can be prepared for that. So we to, we've been talking about this. The basis of the message is identifying the enemy's deception and overcoming the enemy's deception, folks. Okay, this is not something that we don't have victory over. Yes, we can overcome this. But we have to learn to identify it. We have to identify and know what we are looking for in order to overcome. And so that's the blessing behind it. So like I said, we need to be able to identify what deception looks like. We began first in the last couple of weeks with who is our deceiver, who Satan is. We found out that he is a murderer. He is a liar. He is someone who hates the truth. What's his intention? His intention is to create a wedge between you and God. Uh, create confusion that would have us question God and our belief or potential belief in him. He wants to trap us into believing a lie about who God is. How does he do it? He does it through deception. Deception is taking what is false and making it appear true in order to get you to believe what is untruth. So when the enemy operates in deception, it is not going to be obvious. Because if you fall for deception... It really just indicates that you believed it is true. So he's not going to be obvious in what he is doing. So in order for the enemy to be effective, he must cleverly entice us to fall into the trap. So he plays off of our weaknesses, and he uses bait in order for us to fall into the trap. So last week, we began to talk about the bait of the enemy, which I'm going to put you on a little test here. Three things. What's the bait of the enemy that he uses to try and trap us? You all failed, okay? <laughs> the lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, there we go, there we go. And just make sure you guys aren't cheating. Okay, some of you guys have been paying attention, okay. Uh, three areas we find those is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, where John is writing, the apostle John is writing, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. So John is speaking of the world. He's speaking of the enemy's ways. So when he references the world, he is referencing the enemy's ways. And then in verse 16, he goes on to say, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, or the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So last week, we took a look at the lust of the flesh. And so I kind of broke that down. I kind of want to just touch on this a little bit more because I know I kind of left us hanging a little bit last week because there's so much to talk about in this area. But when John was speaking of the lust of the flesh, more specifically, folks, he is talking about the human nature, the physical desire uh, of your body. You know, when before Christ, we have this human nature that we desire to do things that is contrary of God. When Christ came and redeemed us, right, all of a sudden he traded our old nature for his nature. And so now all of a sudden, we have the nature of the spirit, but there still is that battle of the flesh, the human nature that is trying to pull us away from him. So the desires of man are contrary to God, the physical desires that war against the spiritual desires. That's what John is talking about when he talks about the lusts of the flesh. It is the human nature is what is natural to us. I, you know, you, you hear this quite a bit, and I've been asked this as, why do I do the things that I do? Why can't I quit doing some of these things? I struggle with this. Why do I keep gravitating towards it? It's human nature. Naturally, that's where you wanna to gravitate towards. So why do I do things that are not good for me? It's human nature. So if someone asks you why, tell them that it's human nature. Michael Jackson. Anyway, okay. Just throw that in there. But. It's human nature. So it's that mentality and that lifestyle that God has asked us to crucify and surrender to live holy before Him. That is the flesh. And everyone from here until Jesus returns will war against the flesh. Do you understand it? We have victory, but it is always going to be a battle, because that's how the enemy operates. He's going to attack the flesh. He is going to exploit and trying to exploit your weaknesses in the area of the flesh. Everybody has them, so we're always going to be battling against that. In Galatians chapter five, we took a look at that last week, uh, verse 17, the lust of the flesh. It says, for the, lust, the, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that, you don't, so that you don't do what you want. So like I said, there's only going to be one winner, and that one winner is going to be the one that you feed the most. And then further down in Galatians 5, it gives or it gave us more detailed explanation of the lust of the flesh and the examples later on than it uses of the fruit of the Spirit. So go back and listen to the podcast if you haven't to check that out because it really gives a good detailed explanation. So like I guess it's simply put, one of these is going to win. It'll be the one that you give control over. You've got to think of your muscles of the flesh. You've got to think of your muscles of the Spirit. Whichever one is stronger is what is going to come out? You need to be patient in a situation. Is your patience strong? Because when you're tempted in a situation, what's going to happen? It determines what muscle is going to strong. Is anger going to come out, or is patience going to come out? And you're going to war against those things. I had a perfect opportunity this week to exercise patience in my life. Uh, I did so. I go over to that gas station over there. I am not gonna say the name, but it is a, supposed to be a safe grocery store. Anyway. <laughs> it's right down that way, over there, okay? So, anyway, so I fill up my gas tank, and then like 10 minutes later, my car starts sputtering. Okay, well, you know, I got bad gas, right? Gas tank, okay. Anyways, so I call him up, Some of y'all just got that. Anyways, I call them up and I say, hey, listen, I filled up over there. Ten minutes later, it's your guys' fault. My car's sputtering like crazy and I can't accelerate and it's just, and already I'm fired up. And so I got to deal with that. And then I go out to my car to go take Riley to school the other day and like someone got into my car and just, yeah, just tore up everything. I guess I left the door unlocked or whatever. As stupid thieves, I don't know, you know. So they get in my car. Bad on me. I normally leave my wallet in my car. I took it in that night though, praise the Lord. <laughs> Anyways. So they they go through everything in my car and just rip everything up and just tear everything up in there and they took my little coin holder, you know. What's up with that? I was on call last week for the police department, I left my police badge on my seat. Yeah. They didn't take that. So I'm like thinking, why didn't they take that? But then the last place a criminal wants to go to is the police station. So, you know, yeah, walking around in there. So, yeah, anyways, I'm frustrated. Riley's in the car. I'm thinking to myself, here's a good opportunity for me to exercise patience. Okay, now listen to me, folks. This is not that difficult, okay? If you have areas in your life that are weak, if you struggle with things like patience, You have to look for opportunities to exercise patience, okay? Just like working out. If I'm weak in my bench press, well, what do I have to do? I have to exercise my chest muscles. If you're weak in areas of the spiritual things in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if you're weak in those areas, you have to look for opportunities to exercise those areas, because patience is not just going to come out if you're not exercising it. So when you find those opportunities to do that, then, then do that. But when you find those opportunities to get frustrated and get angry, if you choose to take that route, you're exercising anger. It's, it's, it's pretty simple, folks. Well, God, why don't you just make me stop doing this? Why don't you just make me stop doing this? No, you have to do the things he's instructing you to do. He's given you victory over the lust of the flesh, but folks, you have to exercise the things that God has given you. Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. The fruit of the Spirit's on the inside of you. You just have to allow it to come out. So when when the Spirit's trying to take control, the flesh is trying to take control, you are the deciding factor. You determine what's going to be stronger in your life. So you have to look for those opportunities to exercise those areas in your life. And we'll talk about that later on as we get to the message because I wanna wrap this thing up with the victory that we have over these specific areas, but I won't go too far down on there. So, but simply put, one of these areas is going to win, but it's gonna be the one that you're gonna give control over. So um, so I'm gonna give you a little bit more here on the Lust of the Flesh, but the thing that you have to do, folks, is this. You have to quit allowing your flesh to tell you what to do. Okay? Simply put, you're the boss. Okay? You tell your flesh what to do, you tell it what to do. Anger does not have control over you. I just can't help being angry. Yes, you can. You have to tell yourself what to do. And you have to put the flesh down like you would put down a rabid dog trying to kill you or bite you. Put it down. Crucify the flesh. Do not let the voice of your flesh be louder than the voice of your spirit. That's the reason why people lose this battle in this area because they attend to the things of the flesh more than they attend to the things of the spirit. God, why can't I quit doing this? Because you're spending so much time over here in fleshly things, and you're neglecting the things of the Spirit. So what's going to come out? What you're feeding. If your flesh is getting louder, you have to take control. And how we take control over this stuff, folks, is this. Is you fast. You pray. You shut that thing down. And a lot of times within the church, I think, you know, we hear things like fasting and praying, and we don't necessarily understand it. But the thing that you know, Jesus goes on a fast for forty days, and what he's really doing on that fast, yes, he's getting close to his father, and 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 uh, you know, getting to, I guess, that closeness with the father, and really to identify where the fathers want him to go. But when he's fasting up there, he's putting the spirit or the flesh down. And when you fast, that is a really good way of you telling your flesh that you're not in charge here, I'm going to put you down, and I'm not going to attend to the things that is my weakness that I'm gravitating towards, I'm going to put that thing down, and I'm going to do it once and for all, If, if you continue to bother me, I'm going to fast, I'm going to take control, and I'm going to show you who's the boss in my life, so my spirit is going to be louder than my flesh. Turn over real quick, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. I wanna show you this because it is very, very important for us to understand this. I know it's on the screen, but you got your Bible, you got your iPad or whatever. It's, it's good to take a look at this. The Apostle Paul is speaking here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and he's referencing a, an athlete here in this, this situation. So, in verse 24, he goes on to say, don't you know that runners in a stadium all run or all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. So don't give a half-hearted effort, okay? As a Christian, when you live your life, do not give a half-hearted effort, okay? Run this race to win. Do you understand? Like, let's win, don't just go through the motions. Let's, let's run this race to win. Then he goes on and uh, continuing down in verse 25, he says this, now everyone who competes exercises. Well, what do they do? They exercise self-control. In everything they do, do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So what are we doing? We are living a life for a crown that's imperishable. Okay, the reward that we are going to get is going to be eternal. And so that's what we live for, an eternal prize, an eternal crown. Verse 26, it says this. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. In verse 27, it says, instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I discipline my body, and I bring it under not just control, but strict control. Paul is telling everyone here this is what he does to put the flesh under. I'm controlling this thing. I'm going through a lot of stuff, but you know what? I'm not going to allow this voice to be louder in my life because I need need to follow Jesus and what Jesus is asking me to do. Distractions are gonna come. Distractions are gonna try and take my eyes off of him. So you know what? Flesh, I'm gonna put you down and I'm gonna put you under strict control. I'm gonna put you under strict control. And if that means you have to go to extremes on things, then yes, go to extremes. If you can't pick up your smartphone without looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, maybe it's time to go back to a flip phone. You may think that's crazy what kind of control? Do you want to allow that to have control over? Do you want to put your body under strict control? Someway, somehow, you have to tell your body, you know what? You're not in charge. Stacy and I, we, uh... Riley spends too much time on an iPad, OK? So Stacy and I have been talking forever. We need to get her off the iPad. We need to get her off the iPad. And it's like she follows her brothers with video games and stuff. I don't know, but anyways, so she's on this thing far too much, and um, so he said, we need to spend more time in the evenings hanging out and doing family things and, you know, so we can get her off her iPad. Well, how do you do that? The simple answer is, well, just take it away from her, just take it away from her and all that stuff. Well, yes and no, we can take that away from her, but the, the main thing is is we need to take the desire away from her. We need to take the desire for the iPad away from Ruby because just pulling that thing away from her is not gonna fix the desire. Okay? She's still gonna want her iPad, but we need to learn how to take that desire away from her. So uh, it was a miracle because her teacher, she comes up to us in January, she says, my teacher has asked us to give up one thing for February and I'm gonna give up my iPad. And I said, oh Lord, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> And we got down and we prayed at that point. No, she said, I'm gonna give up my iPad for the month of February, and uh, she went the whole month. She went the whole month, and I was so proud of her. And uh, the key with that whole thing is, is we figured out how to replace the desire for the iPad in doing other things, okay? Normally when she's on the iPad at this time, we did something else that was fun. I can't tell you how many games of Yahtzee I played, oh, you ain't lying? Yeah, I mean, it was like, goodness gracious, like, I mean, like, full houses, and I'm saying it in my sleep. I just got a large straight, you know, I mean, it was just like, oh. So March 1st comes around, and she's laying in her bed. I mean, she's counting the days down to where I get my iPad back. So she wakes up in the morning before I go to work, and she immediately says, I get my iPad back today. And I said, oh, yes, you do. And I gave it to her, and I said, listen, sweetie, Dad is so proud of you right now. You went the whole month without your iPad, and I'm just so proud of you. And she says, can you get my charger? And I said, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I said, sweetie, it has 37% charge on it. You're not going to need it. You can, you can watch it up here until you get up Get up to, for breakfast, and she said, I need it because I'm not going to be getting out of bed today. I'm just going to lay in bed on my iPad. <laughs> I said, Okay, so yeah, so she was on it all day, but listen, what happened? <laughs> she was. <laughs> it may look like we failed in that process, okay? <laughs> it may look like we failed, but listen, what happened when we got home? Did we play on the iPad or did we pick up Yahtzee? She went back to Yahtzee because she was finding out she was having more fun and playing Yahtzee was more fulfilling than playing on her iPad in the evening because she's getting to spend time with mom, dad, her brother, you know. And so we ended up playing Yahtzee, right, as opposed to the iPad. Well, what happens is the desire for the thing that we don't want her to do is starting to be weaned off of that and replaced with the desire of something that is more beneficial. And so when you, I mean this is is a big problem folks because a lot of times when we're struggling with something we think that if we just go cold turkey that it's gonna fix the problem and we can't figure out why we continue to gravitate back towards that after some time. Because yes, self-discipline works in some areas but you have to understand something folks, you can't count on self-discipline to take care of sin in your life. Because the desire for sin is going to be so strong, you have to learn to replace that desire with something that is more beneficial for you. So you have to learn how to replace the desire of the lust of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. So you have to look for those opportunities to do so. Play the Yahtzee of the Spirit, okay? Right? You replace it with something that is more beneficial. Over time, you will begin to see how beneficial that is and that's really how you attack those things folks because a lot of times it's like people will come in the church and you'll sit there and see something that they're going through and the mindset of the pastor whomever is you got to stop that right now but we yet we don't think wait a minute for 30 years they've been dealing with this all right do you think it could just be like that i know sometimes god can just You know, heal someone immediately from addiction or whatever they're going through, pornography or whatever it might be. But what we have to do is people have to learn how to replace and renew their mind to the things of the spirit. And a lot of times we expect it to be instantly or you expect it to be instantly and you try and figure out why you still struggle with that. Because there has to be some place in there that you have to replace the desire. When you tend to the things of the spirit, Ultimately, the desire begins to change. The desire begins to wean. And you begin to gravitate towards more of the things of God. Then all of a sudden, what's gonna happen is you're gonna be in a position to where you do not desire the things that have been hindering you for so long. So the more effective strategy, folks, is to take away the desire when dealing with the lust of the flesh. I'm gonna move on from that because I want to get into the lust of the eyes. Okay, the second area, the second bait that Satan has and uses against us is the lusts of the eyes. When talking about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, a lot of people can confuse these as the same thing because they do have similarities. But do not confuse these things because they are different. They have differences within them. Now, we talked about this earlier. The lust of the flesh is any temptation or sin, listen, folks, It's any temptation or sin that appeals to our physical appetites. It is any sin that attempts to satisfy our emotional senses or physical weaknesses through sin. The lust of the eyes is different because the lust of the eyes is any temptation or sin that appeals to our visual senses. It is any sin that makes us want or possess what we see, whether it's money, material things, physical beauty, or anything that attracts our eyes, our visual senses. Example of the lust of the eyes include many of things also within the lust of the flesh. So greed, covetousness, theft, envy, jealousy, comparison, idolatry, worshiping false gods, images, or idols. But the temptation comes through the visual. It is a strong desire to want something you don't have to the point that you covet what you want. And I want to show you this. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to take a look at our good friend Eve who got us in a bunch of trouble. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It goes on to say this. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can eat from any tree in the garden? The woman replied back, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will what? You will die. So the enemy comes back and he says, what? No, no. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat in your eyes, that your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. She was tempted, folks. She was tempted by food, but was it for her physical hunger of food? Or was it that she desired something that she felt she did not have? Okay, it wasn't like I'm gonna eat this because I got some crazy, angry stuff going on right now and I am hungry, I need some of that fruit because it is good and it is like, man, like the best tasting watermelon there is and I'm just hungry. No, she didn't say that. The whole thing, the whole desire of wanting to eat the fruit in the garden was to what? To gain knowledge, right? She knew if she ate this, she had the the craving that she would have the knowledge of God. And so that's what she desired, and that's what she went after. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So the whole intent was based on the desire to obtain wisdom. So she took of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Verse seven, then the eyes, folks, listen to me. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What was opened? Once they ate, right, their eyes were now open, their visual senses, the thing that she's seen, not necessarily I'm looking at that fruit and I know that fruit looks good. No, the things that she's seen is she's seen herself right? Possessing the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And it was that fruit that she can eat of that is going to give her that. The visual thing that she's seen on the inside, the thing that she coveted the most was the thing that made her go after that fruit and eat it. The enemy used the lust of the eyes to tempt Eve and played exactly off of her weakness and desire to have something that she thought she didn't have. And I'll tell you right now, Uh, Our advertising industry, they learned a lesson right here, okay, because this is exactly what they do. The advertising industry in the world is built on this. It wants us to discover new products and services that promise to make our lives better. And there's, folks, listen, there's nothing wrong with that by any means, but the whole point of advertising is to get you to think that some way or somehow your life would not be complete without having this product, And so then the battle begins. When it becomes, listen, when it becomes problematic is when we start lusting after something that we do not have. It's important to be aware of when we start feeling a strong desire for something to the point where we believe we cannot be happy without it. Because listen, I could look at something on TV and think that could be really beneficial for me and I would like that, that's gonna help you know, in certain areas of my life, and there is nothing wrong with that, but when it gets to the point where I sit there and think that if I don't have that, then I'm not gonna be happy. And so what happens is, and then I begin to covet that, thinking that this product or this thing or whatever it might be that is sitting before me is going to bring me joy that if I didn't have that, I wouldn't, wouldn't have joy. And that's the very thing that, that Eve realized. If I don't eat this fruit, I'm missing out on something. And so the enemy tempted her with the lust of the eyes to reach out, to grab that fruit, to eat of that fruit. And he baited her into eating something and doing something that God told her not to do. The lust of the eyes. Folks, this will lead us down a path with negative consequences unless we check it. And you're going to regret it later. There's a story. Turn over to Acts chapter 5 real quick. i want going to show, share this story with you. Married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, okay? Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira were part of a Christian community in Jerusalem where many believers at the time would share their possessions with one another, okay? They were all in this together, and we would share our possessions with one another, for the whole intention of advancing the gospel, okay? So they would share their possessions with one another, and they gave generously to those who were in need. So in their situation here, they sold a piece of property and decided to donate some of the money to the apostles because that was what they were doing, that's their tradition, that was the nature of everything, how it was at the time. But they also agreed between themselves to keep some of it back for themselves. But the problem came in as they pretended that they were giving the whole amount and thus lied to the Holy Spirit. So this was something that they shared amongst one another. So they agreed to share the profits of the land with everyone to help fund what was needed to advance the gospel. And we pick it up here in Acts chapter 5 verse 1. It says this, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Something was enticing him to do that. There was something that he seen that he thought, if I don't have this money, then I'm missing out on something. And so because of that, because of that desire, thinking that if he didn't have this this physical thing, money, that he was going to miss out on something, what does it cause him to do? It causes him to lie to the apostles. But then if you notice what Peter says, he asks him, why did you allow Satan to fill your heart with lies? Because the enemy came in and baited him with something. He put an image in front of him that made him think that my life is going to be so much better if I keep this money. The enemy filled his heart with lies, and then what does Peter say? He said, listen, why did you lie to the Holy Ghost? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it, in verse 4, after, and after it was sold, wasn't it yours at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in where? Your heart. Your heart. Why did you plan this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but you've lied to God. At some point, folks, in this process, something changed within their heart. Instead of seeing it as giving to God's work, as everyone had agreed upon, it became that they thought, if I don't keep this, then I'm going to be without something. And so they just pretended to give all of it to God. So the enemy filled their hearts with lies and made them think that if they gave it all, they would be missing out on something. They looked at each other as if they would be less than if they didn't keep a portion back for themselves. And in verse 5, it goes on to say, when they heard these words, and Peter questioned him on it, so when Ananias heard these words, he dropped dead. He dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young man got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And then Peter says, tell me, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. In verse 10, instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear on the whole church came up on the whole church and all who heard these things. The thing we have to understand, well, wouldn't that be something, though, if, <laughs> if, oh, Lord, we lied to the Holy Spirit and boom, dropped dead? How many people in here would be alive? That <laughs> well, makes you think, oh, anyways. You have to understand something, folks. The difference between... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes is the lust of the flesh is uh, very easily played out in front of everyone. You can see when someone gets frustrated. You can see when someone gets angry. You can see when someone has issues going on in their life. It plays out in front of everyone. The danger of the lust of the eyes, it can easily be faked. You can easily hide what's going on on the inside because a lot of it has to do with imagination. Right? A lot of it has to do with the things visually we see on the inside that is enticing us or that is putting a desire within us to go after things that God has asked us not to go after. And so it could easily be faked. We can easily hide it. And this story right here with Ananias and Sapphira is very common within Christian circles because especially in the area of giving, Satan will lie to you and tell you, you shouldn't give that much. You shouldn't give that much. And then you begin to think about what you could have if you kept the money, or you think about what you you would uh, about what you have to go without it if you kept that money. I could buy this if I didn't give, or I won't be able to afford this. The type of mentality, that mindset. I could remember when Stacy and I sold uh, some property, and we knew we were going to tithe off of it, but it was the most amount that I had ever tithed in my life. And so when we got to the point we're discussing this, that we have to tithe. Well, the thought came, well, what about these bills? Well, you know, if we had this money, we could pay off this, or we can pay off that. But you begin to think of all these things, and so visually what happens is you put that imagination out there and you begin to think of what your life would be like if you did not give this. And I can tell you right now, that is a big obstacle within the church because every Sunday that mindset takes place Because we sit there and the enemy baits us in the things that God has asked us to do, and we put this visual in front of our heads thinking that if I don't give, I'm going to lose out on something. That I won't be able to do this, or I won't be able to do that if I give my money. And that is a big issue because the enemy comes in and baits us just like he did Eve, just like he did Ananias and Sapphira, putting something within our heart, telling us it'd be more beneficial to do that as opposed to following God. And it begins with the imagination, it begins visually, it begins with the lust of the flesh. So Satan uses the visual to play off our weaknesses and get us to desire other things to complete us or find our identity. You take knowledge, for example. Some of us desire or some of us use the desire for knowledge, not for growth, but to be known to impress others. Right, if, if I was so much smarter, then I would prop myself up and I would appear to be so much greater than others. And we use that to impress uh, other people. Or you think about getting healthy and fitness. The, the Lord has told us to uh, steward over the temple and right? take care of your body. But you take a look at fitness and getting healthy, go look at Instagram. You will see all these people in gyms using fitness, not for their benefit, but for social status. Right? I'm in the gym, craziest thing in the world. <laughs> like People in the gym and they got their phone propped up on something and you know, watching them do squats and then they post it on Instagram. I do not get it, I do not get it. I don't understand it, but it is for what? Is it for their benefit? Or is it for someone else's benefit? Right? It is used to prop them up, not for their benefit, but to impress others. And so really where the enemy comes in, he's put that visual in front of them Making them think if they don't do this, then they're less than. Because they want to seek out impressions and opinions of other people in order to complete them or to fill them. And so they use those things to prop themselves up. Or people buy things. Keep up with the Joneses. People buy things to make them feel good. I could remember when Stacy and I, or I did it first, but uh, did Dave Ramsey's class, now, one of the things that always stuck, uh, stuck with me is he would make a statement. He said, people try and keep up with the Joneses, but what they don't know is the Joneses are broke, too. And the thing is, is a lot of people try and prop themselves up by buying something that someone else bought to impress them. Well, where does that come from, folks? Where does it come from? That's the lust of the eyes. The enemy baits us in those areas and makes us think that you are not complete unless you have this. Eve, you are not complete unless you eat of this fruit, because if you eat of this fruit, you are going to have the knowledge of God. He made her think that she would be less than if she didn't do that. He makes you think that you would be less than if you don't do that. And so he baits you with the lust of the eyes and he makes you see this image of what your life would be like. If you had this. You understand we get into the point here? The lust of the eyes is a silent killer. We put so much emphasis on the lust of the flesh, but the lust of the eyes goes unchecked because it goes unnoticed. You can look at a man or a woman and desire them sexually, lust of the flesh. Or you can look at a man or a woman and desire them to complete you, lust of the eyes. You can covet them for who they are and what they have. There's more of an emphasis on what you become if you have this and your desire to have that will entice you to do things that will compromise your beliefs. The same thing, folks, the same thing. But what do people focus on? If someone were to say, if someone were to say, say for example, I have a friend who's married and they come to me and they tell me, I'm having lustful thoughts about this guy or with this girl. Well, immediately, what do you think people think? If your friend came to you and said, hey, hey, Josh, you know, I'm married, but you know what? I'm having lustful thoughts uh, uh, with this woman. What do you immediately think? You immediately think sexual thoughts, right? You're having lustful sexual thoughts on this woman. But is it possible that you can have different thoughts about this woman that are just as damaging as if it were sexual thoughts? Now, follow me here. Lustful thoughts could also be, I'm thinking about how my life would be better if I was with them as opposed to my wife. Do you understand here? Just as damaging, but we put such an emphasis on the physical aspect, but we allow the visual aspect to go completely unchecked, right? Because, oh, man, I'm just envisioning my life and what it would be, and if I would have married her... Oh, Lord, I could be so much further ahead. Well, tell me what's more damaging. It's the same. It's the same. Physically, you can get in bed with that person, but then visually, you could really be getting in bed with that person in your mind and sitting there thinking how your life would be completely different, and then you get to the point where you start coveting after that. It's the same. The lust of the eyes, and that's where the enemy baits us. They are different, but they are the same. They are like evil twins. Sometimes they look alike, but they have different personalities. But they're just a pain to have around. That's who they are. And you must get rid of them. You have to learn, folks, to be content. And this is how you battle this. You have to learn to be content and thankful for what you have and what God has blessed you with. You continue to trust God for anything that you desire or need. You trust him with that. You desire the relationship you see someone else having with their spouse, why not trust God to help build your relationship to be stronger and stronger each day with your spouse? So you're not coveting after something you feel like you don't have, but you know what? You can be thankful and you could be trusting of God to help build your current relationship or your current status to get to the point to where you have what someone else has and you don't lust after those things that somebody else has or you feel like you don't. You desire to look better and you desire to lose weight? Why not just trust God to show you how he created you and begin there first? Eliminate the whole thing of the lust of the eyes. You have got to put that stuff down. You have to put it down because if you entertain that stuff, What is going to happen is you're going to find yourself in a position of compromise, compromising your beliefs and compromising the things that God has asked you to do. You cannot allow that stuff to go unchecked in your life. You have to learn to be content, to be joyful, to be thankful, and to be patient. Folks, listen to me. I can't tell you how many times people sit there and say, I need to lose weight, I need to lose weight, but then they look at themselves in the mirror. The whole intention of wanting to lose weight is they look at themselves in the mirror and think they are a piece of crap. And that they're ugly. I got news for you. If you lost weight, that is not going to change. It is not going to change. You have got, folks, to change the lust of the eyes or the bait that the enemy tries to bait you with there. You have got to change that by changing the desire for anything else. And you do that by being content with where you're at. You do that by being thankful with where you're at. You do that by being joyful with where you're at. And you do that by trusting God to elevate you, to pick you up, to build on the things that you already have. That is how you fix that. Folks, listen to me. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and we get into the pride of life next week. We have victory over these things. We have victory over them, and we are going to learn to walk in victory in these areas of our life. And we're not going to pick them back up again. Yes, the enemy will try and bait us, but you know what? We're going to get to the point where we are stronger and stronger and stronger each day. Stronger each day. So we can live and fulfill the plan and the purpose that God has for our life. Let's pray.